Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So as we continue to hopefully continue moving forward in reopening Ontario, reopening things in our own lives, uh, some of us need to adjust a little bit. Some of us have to adjust again to being around people. As much as, as, much as we've missed being around people, all of a sudden you get into a big crowd and you realize like, oh, I need a little adjustment to being in crowds again. And we begin to realize the adjustment that we have to have. And some of us, Some of us need encouragement. I don't know about you, I am an introvert, so sitting in my basement watching a Jays game uh, just goes easy for me. And so I need a little encouragement to get out there. I need a little encouragement to get back involved in, in people's lives, in my own life, and being a part of community. And so today we're going to start talking about loving our community. We're going to do a series on loving our community. But when you hear community, I don't want you just to think um, Stratford and the surrounding area. I also want you to think community of Bethel, community of our own church. But I also believe that every community like Stratford and the surrounding areas, every community needs the love of Jesus there for them. And we need to remind each other of the importance of gathering together, gathering together to worship the Lord, because it's important. We sang a song last week that says, wake you who are slumbering. And I truly believe that none of us in this room or watching online have intentionally slumbered in our walk with the Lord. But after being told to stay home for so long and to stay in our houses, slumbering just becomes almost natural. Um, I know myself as I've slumbered, um, I've kind of rested. I don't know about you, but COVID-19 physically wasn't good for me. I call it my COVID-19. And it's just extra weight that I've put on. And I say it's 19. It might be a little higher. It might be a little lower. But my COVID-19 just sounds right. But some of us, we just need a spurring on. And as we slumbered, again, some of that was in our control. Some of it was out of our control. But now we need to regain control of that. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to spur us on and to push us and encourage us. The word I felt this morning was we need the Holy Spirit and even ourselves to help push or pull people. We don't want to drag them, but we want to push and pull a little bit. Because here's what the Bible tells us. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, I don't own a horse, although my daughter would love for us to own a horse. I don't own a horse, but I do understand what spurs are because I grew up around people that had horses. Spurs are usually round, spikes, sharp objects that they put on the back of their boots and what they actually do with these is they dig them into the side of the horse to get it to move a little quicker. So, when the Bible says spur us on, it's not like a little rub on the back. It's not a little tap on the back. Spurring 
can sometimes actually hurt. How many people have a loving spouse that has spurred them on before? Just me? See, my wife has her hand up because she knows we spur each other on. I think the spouses that have their hands down is like, I think if I raise my hand, I'm going to get spurred right here. (laughs) Just those little elbows, right? But spurring each other on is not a bad thing, right? Like when we spur each other on, we spur each other on because we believe in each other. We want to encourage one another. And I don't know about you, But a lot of times I need spurring on because how many of us like being comfortable? Comfortable is way easier than stretching. Comfortable is way easier. Here's what I've come to understand, and here's where I'm frustrated, and I would love to talk to the Lord why he designed us this way. Do you know how easy it is to sit on a couch and eat Doritos? Right? Do you know how hard it is to run for 60 seconds? Like Melissa and I were just talking about advertising for our kickoff Sunday, and she was like, we should see if they have a bouncy castle blown up, and we can go do the next announcement there. And I looked at her and said, we would have to do it in one take because we would both be winded afterwards. (laughs) To which our daughter was like, I could do it. We're like, great idea. It's hard work to actually motivate ourselves and get ourselves moving. I saw a post today that one person, it was just a joke, but they're like, my problem is I want to work out for one minute and lose 100 pounds. But when we spur one another on, we're pushing each other. We're having to drive each other. See, here's the thing that we have to understand as a church. We have to spur one another on. Verse 25 says this, not giving up on meeting together. I find it interesting that the scripture verse that talks about spurring each other on is also talking about coming together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now understand me. I understand that some people are still nervous about health or have health issues. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ones of us in the room or the ones that are online that are just actually, it's just comfortable. And some of you in the room, you're like, actually, Chad, I had to spur myself on this morning. I woke up, had my gym shorts on. I was watching TV and drinking a coffee before I left. And I was like, you know, we could just put the service on. And you had to spur yourself on to come this morning. We need to spur each other on because here's the thing. We will always have an online service. But I want you to hear from me what that is for. The online service is for those who can't get here. That can't get here. And so if you can get here, we need to be here. Because we understand that we still need to invest in our online service because of what it's done and how it reaches people. But it was never meant to replace gathering together. Our online service was never meant to replace this. Gathering together for us As we worship together, there are two or three gathered. That is where the Lord is. That's where the Holy Spirit is. There's a difference between two or three in a living room watching a TV. There's a difference between two or three gathering together to worship the Lord. And that's why we have to spur one another on. So how do we spur one another on? How do we spur each other on? 
And now let's look at it from a different avenue. With your coworkers, how do you spur a coworker on? How do you spur a loved one? How do you spur your neighbor? How do we spur fellow believers? We're going to revisit something this morning that we talked about a few years ago. And we're going to talk about something that we need to do today. And by we, I mean you and me. We need to invite and invest in others. We need to invite and invest in others. So the first thing we have to do is we need to invite. We need to be inviting. We actually need to make plans with coworkers. We actually need to make plans with neighbors. And we actually need to make plans with fellow believers. You actually need to make a plan. And not, here's the dilemma. Don't wait for somebody to come to you. Go to somebody. If you're like, well, Chad, somebody just hasn't invited me over in a long time. Invite somebody. Well, I don't feel necessarily comfortable yet having them in my home. Then invite them for coffee somewhere else. As Pastor Kirsten said already, we have beautiful parks. Meet in a park. Go for a walk. We need to be inviting. But here's the thing. Don't invite somebody over for a Bible study. What? Our pastor just said, don't invite them over for a Bible study. If you guys want to talk about the Bible, that's fine. But have you ever been invited to somebody's house and then you show up and you show up to a Tupperware party? Or you've been invited over to somebody's house and you show up and they're selling you something? Don't invite a neighbor or coworker over trying to sell them Jesus. Invite a neighbor over to do life together, to connect, to invest in one another. I started doing this a long time ago when uh, we go to conferences and we're looking forward to those starting up again. But when we go, a lot of times at pastor's conferences, somebody will walk up and they won't, this is a question they'll ask. Hey, Chad, how's your church doing? What they're actually asking is, how big is your church? How many people are coming? It's a comparison game. And we do it all the time because when we meet somebody new, one of the first things we ask is, what do you do? And we're trying to figure out where we are on the scale together. So I started challenging myself that when I met other pastors, I would always ask this question. How's your family? So when you're meeting with a coworker, you're sitting down at lunch, maybe ask them, how's your family? I know we're stepping into territories where we're like, well, that's kind of being nosy. No, it's being caring. Because how the weather is, we just look out a, we- a window. How's your family doing? We begin to ask questions about doing life together. I want to read to you a fairly long scripture, but John 1, starting at verse 38 to 51, says this. This is where Jesus meets his disciples and invites them. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. And this is where John the Baptist pointed out Jesus as the Messiah. And who had followed Jesus, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. 
And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means, and then translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about and about and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nazarene. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I think a few of you in the room and online just need to know that Jesus sees you and knows you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because you, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we see Jesus inviting his first few disciples. Jesus inviting these young men to come, follow me, come and see. We need to invite people into our lives to come with us, to follow us in a way that we follow Jesus. Yes, that immediately holds us accountable for our walk with Jesus because it will spur us on because we have others watching and following. When you disciple, when you mentor people, they will actually push you because of their hunger. It's okay. Invite people into our lives. I know a lot of us were like, but Chad, my life is messy. What if they see things in my life that I've tried to hide from everybody? Again, it holds us accountable. But again, it will let your neighbors and co-workers and even other believers know that they live a normal life and can follow Jesus and still be saved. I, coach, uh, Miles, I help coach Miles' baseball team, and, and I talk with the three other coaches, and we talk very openly and honestly, and we've been talking a little bit about church lately because of the, our Bethel Church banner that's at Dufferin Arena because we're sponsoring softball or baseball in town. And it's already stirred up conversations. And, and one of the things we talk about, the four of us, is marriage. And we just, it keeps coming up and we keep talking about that if, if every one of us was actually honest, how many marriages we would save? Because if I went around the room here, I'm willing to almost like wager on it, bet on it, that there are so many of us in this room that have had rough times. Why do I know that? Well, because everybody does. And then if I went around the room and asked everybody, they would tell me that they've had incredible times. And if we were honest with one another and open, we didn't share dirty laundry, 
But when somebody was having a rough time, if they were honest and felt like they could share it because they knew other people's stories, we know each other's stories by asking. Hey, tell me about, tell me about your marriage. Do you know the moment I find out somebody's celebrating an anniversary that has more years than mine, I always ask the question, tell me one thing to help me to get to whatever year they're celebrating. And so many stick with me. But I remember speaking at a 50-plus lunch. Michael and Gladys Tagani were celebrating, I don't know, it had to be like 70-plus years. Now, how many people know they have some advice to give? Mike is with the Lord now, and I remember asking them, give me one word of advice to help get me to 70. I forget how many years it was. And I was, I was waiting for this big word of wisdom. And they kind of looked at each other and they kind of whispered for a minute. And then Gladie just looks at me and she just says, hang in there. <laughs> and it blew me away about how great of advice that is. Hang in there. Don't quit. Don't give up. Work on loving each other. But what if we we're all that, that honest? Hey, how's your marriage doing? We're sitting down over coffee. Hey, how's, how's your marriage? You know what? In this moment, I'm just hanging in there. Really? How can I pray with you? Because you know what? Man, it was probably like six months ago I felt like I was just hanging in there. Really? You guys look like you have it all together. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Okay. But how can I pray with you? You know what? Just pray with me. And, and I'm just trying to like, not trying to be an idiot. Well, tell you what, I'll text you in a couple days to make sure you're not being an idiot. You know what? Thank you. I appreciate that. And then follow up. Hey, do you know how fun it is and humorous it is for, I know ladies don't text this way, but for a guy to text another guy and be like, hey, you being an idiot? <laughs> Actually, I just was. Thanks for texting. And I'm going to go apologize. This is how we do life together. And I know you're like, it's not that simple. It is that simple. We just need people to be real with each other and spur one another on. Greg Gibson, he writes this, I believe the simple and intentional practice of extending an invitation to another person in order to teach them the truth of Christ and model for them a life in Christ is what is often missing in our attempts to make disciples. A simple invitation. A simple invitation to do life together. To talk about real things. So I have a question for you this morning. If you were to invite someone to be a disciple and teach them what it means to abide in Christ, who would it be? Right now, without, don't, even, don't overthink it. The name that just popped in your head, who would it be? I want you to write it down. You need, to, you need to remember that name. Because the moment you read that, there's a name that pops in your head. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit's amazing. And he would immediately tell you a name. Step two, we need to invest in people's lives. If you read through John 13 to 17 in those chapters, you'll see that Jesus spends a crazy amount of time with his disciples alone. And he's discipling, he's investing with them. 
He's, at this time, he's basically done his public ministry, and he needs to invest in his disciples before his death. I want you to think about the importance of an investment in someone. See, here's, here's how important it was. Jesus could have just kept going and healing the sick and talking to the Pharisees and redirecting them into their walk with, into him and doing miracles to show people and to save their lives. But instead, he took a break and he discipled his disciples. This is how important it is to invest in people's lives. Jesus modeled for them a life of service and love. He teaches them how to abide in him. And all of this shows us that if we want to make disciples of Jesus, if we want to be a bridge to life with Jesus, then we must invest our time and our lives in a similar way. We need to invest our time into other people's lives. We must be willing to invite people into our lives even when it's inconvenient. We talked about this at the prayer meeting on Thursday night. God is going to interrupt your life. But when it's a godly interruption, it may frustrate you in the moment. It may throw you a curveball in the moment. But let God interrupt your life. When you're walking out to, out to your car and your neighbor's outside and you say, hey, how's it going? And they're like, well, not too good. Don't just say, oh, that's too bad. See ya. Pause. Hey, what's going on? Well, Chad, I might be late for dinner. I might be late getting somewhere. Yes. Try not to be late for work. We want to honor our bosses, but let it interrupt your life. Let God use you in ways that you have no idea that he can because we just need to surrender it to him. We give away our time and experiences in, to others. That way they will grow in their faith. We invest in them. And we learn what it looks like to follow Jesus in the way of serving and loving. Philippians 2, 5-8 and 8, 5 to 8 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Investing in people's lives a lot of times never comes at the right time. It never comes in the right moment. There's sacrifice. There's sacrifice to pour into other people's lives. And we need to remain humble in our walk with Jesus, humble in our own lives to serve others. To serve others. Now we understand that we need to invite people, we need to invest in their lives. But here's a third thing I want you to do. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine. So we're inviting, we're investing, and we're imagining. We're imagining. I want you to imagine what it could look like. In John 4 to 17, Jesus 
and the disciples had an expectation, he had, had an expectation of what his disciples will become, and he began to paint this picture for them about the possibilities of what's in store if they abide in him, that they'll receive the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 says, And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. They didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't imagine what it would look like. John 14, 26 says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. He's painting a picture for them. When we're talking to our neighbors and our coworkers and or other believers, and we just don't know what to say, and we're not sure what advice to give, and, and they're going through a hard time, and they're not sure what to do, we share with them, with the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him into your life, and he will teach you all things, will remind you everything that the Word of God says. We encourage one another. Jesus paints the picture for them that they will be adopted into the family of God. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. They will be one with Jesus and the Father. John 14, 20 says, On that day you will realize that I am, I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And John 15, 5, that we will bear fruit. I am the vine, that you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Imagine what it's like if you abide with him daily and often throughout the day. You will experience joy. John 15, 11, I told you this, that, you may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Sharing with friends and co-workers and loved ones when they're going through a hard time that they can have joy and have complete joy by walking in a relationship with the Lord is something that people desire. Now, here is the only thing that I, share, that I want to spur you on as Christians. If you're going to talk about the joy of the Lord, please make sure you have a smile on your face. We can't talk about the joy of the Lord if we're miserable all the time. We share the joy of the Lord by being joyful even in the trials. Remember, James tells us, consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind. God's growing us. He's molding us. He's stretching us. Jesus goes on and, and encourages them that they will have a deeper knowledge of the truth in John 16, 12. I have much more to say to you more then you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you love, if you, sorry, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. 
Jesus even warns them that as we abide in him and we become separate because we are in this world but not of this world, as we live for him, yes, we will come up against things. But the way we handle those, the way we deal with those things is going to show God's love to other people. And we paint this picture of imagination, imagining what a life filled with the Holy Spirit can bring into their lives. Imagine in your own life, as we talked already about marriages, imagine in your own marriage, imagine in your own home, imagine in your workplace, if you abided with Christ regularly, if you had the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the difference that it would make. These are the things that Jesus tried to have his disciples imagine for their lives. When I talk to people about Jesus, and when I talk to them about the Holy Spirit and and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and and what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, whether they're believers or not believers, and they're not sure where they stand on some beliefs or theology, I always began to just ask this question. What if? What if? You're not sure the Holy Spirit can help in your life, but what if? You're not sure that as a believer you want to improve your relationship and, and, and spending time with the Lord is going to change that? What if? If before you come home and, and walk into your home, you spend some time just praying instead of just listening to the news or the radio and just asking the Holy Spirit to bring you peace and, and to help you be a spiritual leader, to help you be a supporting spouse? What if? I try not to argue anymore. I know what I believe and I know what Jesus can do and I know what the Holy Spirit can do. So I just, I challenge people, well, what if? Well, I don't think he does that anymore. Well, what if he does? Greg Gibson, he writes, I believe the most overlooked aspect of teaching someone to abide in Christ is this, the working of imagining. A different future for them. Life in Christ is full of joy, freedom, and satisfaction. We show others what life can look like. Not perfect, not perfect. If, you, if you're looking for a perfect church or a perfect leadership, you're in the wrong place. So we're not, we're not trying to show them perfect because none of us are perfect. But we show them joy, peace, and freedom. And we need to invite people in and we need to invest in their lives and we need to encourage people to imagine what that life can look at, look like. As you and I, as we teach someone to abide in Christ, point to a great and glorious promises that he has for his disciples and for us. Help them to imagine a different reality. One where King Jesus rules over them as a servant king, extending grace upon grace upon grace to his followers, to you, and to me. 
Help them to see how abiding in Christ can affect their workplace, affect their marriage, affect their home, their relationships, the future of their children. And we get them to imagine what a relationship with Jesus, abiding with him, can look like, how it can affect their neighborhood or their city. We show them how a good and gracious God can wash the feet of sinners and rescue them from their own selfish desires and self-hatred. But in order to teach this, in order to teach others what it means to abide in Christ, we have to invite them into our lives. We have to invest our time and our experiences in them. We have to imagine a different future for them, and it's not too late at all. Well, Chad, I've tried with my neighbors. Imagine trying again. So I go back to the question. I go back to the question that I asked already. If you were to invite someone to be a disciple and to teach them what it means to abide in Christ, who would it be? Who would it be? Does everybody have a name? Does everybody kind of have a face in the room? You're kind of like, yep, this, I know who God's telling me. Here's what I want you to do, whether you're in the room or you're at home. I'm actually not going to say when you leave here. Here's what I want you to do. If you have a name in your heart, in your mind right now, I want you to text them right now. And I want you to ask them if they're available for coffee, for tea, or just to connect. And I'm actually going to give you about 30 to 45 seconds. So if nobody pulls out their phone, I'm actually going to be very shocked because I think everybody has a name. So we're going to take 30 seconds. Go ahead, text the person, and ask them if they're free to connect this week. If you're at home, I want you to do the same thing. Take a moment and text that person. Don't wait for somebody to text you. You text somebody. If you're in the room, there's people at the front that are here waiting and wanting to pray with you. And so we're going to close the service in prayer, but they are here. And if you want to make your way to the front, they will pray with you in a safe way. And we just want to encourage you before you go. So let's pray. And if you want to come as I'm praying, please come ahead. Father, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, I thank you for how you encourage us and you strengthen us and you challenge us. Thank you, Father, for the ones who took the time to text and to send a text to encourage and invite somebody to meet so that they can begin to invest in their lives. Father, as we go, help us to be a light for you. Help us to shine bright. Help us to share your love and your joy that people will see and be able to imagine a different life. Lord, let us be your disciples in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. Hope you have a beautiful week. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast.
hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 